I'm Luke Kennedy with the McCain Institute, and you're in the arena with leaders and citizens who are taking character-based action. In this episode of In the Arena, I sat down with Lieutenant General Retired Ben Frakely, uh, who nowadays is no longer a top commander in the military, but is doing very interesting work leading something called the Decision Theater. He does that a lot more, but I think you'll want to hear about how he takes character-driven leadership and data and leads decision makers and students to make better decisions. Lieutenant General Retired Ben Frankly, it's a pleasure to have you with us in the arena today. Thanks. Um, when I think of you, I think of a lot of things, but I kind of think of command and commanding uh, as much or more than anything. You've commanded in areas of responsibility, like Afghanistan, a division in combat, and you've uh, commanded entire markets, um, the market of the United States, and recruiting uh, young people to join the military. And you've commanded certainly a lot of other things, but you've been in charge of things. But you find yourself and have for a few years in a different arena than either of those uh, arena, uh, but still very much connected to um, leadership and young people and hitting objectives. So you're tied to something called the Decision Theater, and I think that ultimately will be our start place. But, you know, dial me in, but I think of data, character, leaders making better decisions, leaders taking better action. Is that kind of the no, thing you're great, in? That's a great uh, uh, introduction and, and uh, question, if you will. Um, so Dr. Crow and Dr. Rick Shangroff from Arizona State University years ago had the idea, uh, two central ideas, one that big data and technology ought to help leaders make better decisions, ought to enable leaders to make better decisions. They also looked at that often scientists in the work in science don't consider policy, and policymakers often don't uh, consider uh, the science when they're, when they're making a policy. So the decision theater was born in 2005 at Arizona State University, and then we extended it here at the McCain Institute when we uh, really got going in 2013. It, with the idea of bringing people together who are anchored to certain positions and, and using big data to show them the facts uh, around a complex problem, not a complicated problem. It's complicated to build a rocket, but we can do it. But a complex problem is how does the United States help solve Syria? Or how do we uh, create better leaders of character in the United States when there's so many factors that press on them from society, from from uh, different examples that are set for them? So. By, by bringing people into an environment and immersing them in that environment with data that is visualized, we can quickly orient them to a complex problem um, and then help them think through how to solve that problem. Now, undergirding all that to your question of character is we need women and men in the, in the image of uh, Senator John McCain uh, who uh, have a purpose of serving causes greater than themselves and who, and we define character-driven leadership as the commitment to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. So in the decision theater, what undergirds great decision-making is great people of character who make these decisions based on that commitment to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. So I, I, we're going to get to your engagement with leaders, and in particular, next-generation leaders, but I'd like to back up. You know, Who have you had in this decision theater? What what are maybe some of the decisions that, that you've allowed people to reach? I get some of it's probably proprietary, but you know, what can you tell us? Well, sure. And so I've been involved in this since 2013. Um, we are really cross-sector because what, what our team does is takes uh, data, 
to information, information to knowledge, knowledge through visualization to understanding. So our, our team doesn't necessarily have any sector subject matter expertise other than visualizing complex problems. Now, uh, we've had uh, engagements with organizations that look at um, a smallpox outbreak in the United States, and do we have the right kind of stockpiles of both uh, the uh, vaccination, which we do as a nation, thanks to the CDC, and Center for Disease Control, and right. we also have an antiviral, but do we have enough antiviral? And we've engaged uh, members from the Hill, uh, Representative Susan Brooks and others to be aware of this problem, and now to think through the policy implications and the balancing of our um, uh, stockpiles to, to protect the population. So if I could just stop you there, so what do you say to somebody that say, well, that sounds good, but if I really wanna know how we're looking with smallpox, I'll just have somebody write me a policy paper. Well, you can do that, but uh, we're in an image-rich environment. We have to connect with policymakers today on where they are. Where are they? They're, uh, they're on tablets. They're on computers. They're on smartphones. They're in an image-rich environment. Reports are important, but I would argue uh, a lot of people aren't reading reports. So when you take them into a decision theater and you visualize that report, it drives people to want to know more. So instead of reading the report and wanting to know more, you see this visualized, you see it explained to you visually, and then you want to know more. That's my argument on why you'd want to do that versus just read a report. And then you, that allows people to reach a decision? Uh, do you get actual decisions in the decision Absolutely. theater? Absolutely. We, we enable. I mean, we don't make decisions. We right, enable right. <laughs> leaders to make better decisions. It's not about us. It's about us helping leaders. But, you know, in another area we've worked on, we've worked on balancing the Arizona uh, state budget. We've worked on uh, the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership. We've worked on... Um, marine mammal life in uh, the Gulf of Mexico, investment decisions by the nation of Mexico in fossil fuel development. So we've worked across a lot of different sectors. We've worked with Conservation International. Uh, and here at the McCain Institute, we've both worked with the smallpox issue. We've also worked with the, as I said earlier, the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership. But, uh, and we've just recently built a simulation for uh, training ambassadors uh, to deal with increasing security risk to their embassy mission. And that's something new that we're about to bring out. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I, I think I have it right. You're the first general we've had on the podcast. We have had an admiral and we've had a number of diplomats. And well, you're working... My condolences for having to have an admiral here, but that's okay. <laughs> we're not going there, but um, you're, so you're working with diplomats. Correct. And, and how they can make better decisions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, our... our um, you know, what I've learned in leadership is that... Um, you know, you can hold a position. You can be the chief operating officer of a business. But if they make you the chief executive officer, it's a brand new day. It's a new position. It's new for you. Uh, so we have these wonderful diplomats, many of whom have grown up as career uh, diplomats. And we have our politically appointed diplomats, uh, ambassadors. And I'm a big believer uh, that to develop leaders, you've got to have education, training, and experience. So they have the education, clearly. Uh, so this is a training experience, both for career uh, ambassadors and politically appointed ambassadors to, if you will, uh, practice making decisions in a very adverse environment, uh, in a decreasing security environment. And uh, therefore, they can practice here. Nobody gets hurt. There's no embarrassment. Uh, they can practice multiple times through our uh, engagement and our simulation mentored by a former ambassador who's dealt with these kind of situations. And we believe that serves America's interest by putting a better trained ambassador out who can protect the American citizens that are in that country 
and uh, conduct their mission on behalf of the president's letter that sends them into a country to represent the United States in that country. So I'm going to now come back closer to, to home. I had a chance to spend some time with you on the streets of uh, New York City recently, and I think listeners might find it interesting. What is a retired general doing in the South Bronx and places like that? Well, we run a program here at the McCain Institute called the Next Generation Leaders Program. It's a global program. It's a leader development program where we bring men and women mid, mid-level careers here to the United States for a year of leader development. They are focused on... Uh, an education perspective, which we do in multiple modules, a training perspective when we put them in a placement, and then they have to go home to their country with a leadership action plan that is going to have impact in their nation. So if you look at uh, uh, recently in the Belarus last year, we had um, one of our great leaders um, return there, uh, focusing on really uh, countering corruption, but a very uh, innovative way to do it, and that is creating a smart city and creating better parks, better services for people, better uh, public transportation. And he was able to bring, after his year here, um, U.S. mayors to Belarus, to his, his uh, city of Minsk, and, and have a discussion about creating a smart city. So you were with us when we did our New York module, focused on uh, leadership in the city of New York, leadership in the community, the nonprofits that make the community work, and leadership in business. And in the South Bronx in particular, we were with a wonderful organization called Cure Violence, which has driven murders in New York from over 3,000 a year to under 300. But uh, imagine the juxtaposition of an international mid-level leader here with the McCain Institute. They're down in Manhattan with a billionaire business leader. They get on a bus in a short ride, and they're in a small uh, office uh, in, in, in the Bronx with uh, someone who's done 28 years of time as a felon in uh Attica, but has been retrained and now is a violence interrupter and is preventing violence on the streets of New York. It's an amazing program, and they get to see leadership in action through that. I, I mean, I I was you know lucky to get to see it uh, uh, firsthand as well, and I appreciate that explanation. I just saw on the news we sit here in the heart of uh, Washington D.C. as we talk, and 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 they're looking to do more of the same. I just saw a news article about violence interrupters, but I'm still struck by, to me anyway, it's not what you. It, typically expect a retired general to be involved with maybe violence and and and, and handling it in a, in a foreign country but not dealing with violence interrupters in the United States well, my role is is really to expose them to these types of organizations and these types of leaders in different sectors leadership finds itself in many places uh, men and women and uh, young people are, are leaders in future farmers of America and in their schools by preventing bullying and old leaders mentor people and and share their experiences and my role really is to uh, expose them to these things and then run what we call a uh, integration session where later we, we we meet them and say what did you learn what do you take away how do you apply this to your work in your country so i'm there sort of as a coach as a mentor and as an observer to make sure they get the most out of the experience How do you train characters? That's something can be trained. And then, you know, when you've trained a leader of character, how does that leader of character get the right opportunities? Uh, of course you can train it. Um, I'm a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point. We've created the Public Service Academy at Arizona State University with over 500 young people being trained. 
uh, every day in the United States of America, uh, in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard, young men and women are in basic training or boot camp, you whatever you want to call it. It's called basic training in the Army, where they are taught about uh, character. The way it comes about is teaching people values, teaching people what is integrity all about, what is respect all about, what is responsibility, accountability, what is loyalty, what does duty mean. And as you reinforce these significant concepts of values to young people, they start to internalize those values uh, and they start to want to be a person of integrity. They want to be a person that's loyal to their team, the Constitution, the United States of America, whatever they need to uh, give their loyalty to. So absolutely it can be trained. It's a, it's not an easy road and, and you have to expose people to not only what their personal values might be, but then how do they help create organizational values? If you look at Arizona State University, it's all about access, excellence, and impact. Those are organizational values, access to the university, access to education, regardless of your age, race, color, creed, gender. Um, excellence by being exposed to superb professors and superb experiences at the university, and then leaving our university and having impact. Same at the McCain Institute. You know, what are we about? We're about advancing character-driven leadership. We're about advancing human rights. We're about advancing it, um, uh, rule of law. We're about countering uh, terrorism. We're about countering human trafficking. These are things that, as an institution, we have strong organizational values, strong demonstrable uh, aspects to have impact. And that's how you demonstrate and put people in a character-driven environment, and they become that character-driven leader. And, well, I want to follow up on the opportunity piece, but I'm also... How do you handle uh, where folks might say, well, look, I see or I'm in an environment where there's a lack of character or I see very evident character lapses? Well, I mean, pick up the paper in America today. Look at every single sector. Uh, we have problems in the church. We have problems in business. We have problems in politics. We have problems in higher education. We have problems in regular education. We have problems in police force. I mean, it's not a pretty picture right now of uh, – character-driven leadership being demonstrated. You know, we lost the line of the Senate, in my opinion. John McCain, and an unbelievable voice, and an unbelievable example of standing up for what's right. And so, um, but but we can either say that we have a cancer and, oh, and wring our hands, or we can attack that cancer and, and prevent the disease from spreading. So my view of it is, is that uh, we have an obligation as American citizens to help others understand what character-driven leadership is, what values-based leadership looks like, what right looks like, and reinforce that, and have our young people go out and make a turn on this and restore faith and confidence in the media, in the judicial system, in the political system. We, we want people to believe in these democratic principles and systems. And we have to go out as Americans and, and encourage people to, to lead by example and to lead with character. I know you've given a lot of time to uh the Public Service Academy. Can you talk about how that fits into what you just said? Sure. I mean, ASU's uh, America's number one innovative university has been now for three years. Uh, years ago, uh, about five years ago, Dr. Crow, myself, uh, Jacqueline Smith, and others, Dean Capel at the uh, Watts College of Community Service and uh, Public Service and Community Solutions, uh, were thinking about um, how do we train people, for our young people, for the future. Reserve Officer Training Corps program has been, <laughs> excuse me, has been around. For over 100 years now, thanks to uh, General Marshall and others who, who had this idea for the Second World, First World War to, to get develop character-driven leaders through, through our public universities. And so we have a model that works, and that is having young men and women that are in our colleges around the United States and are trained to be great engineers or trained to be great uh, English 
professors or uh, trained to to solve the world's problem with physics, but they also get wraparound leadership training, and they become our army officers and our and our naval officers, and they they become the leaders in our services. So we took that idea and put a twist to it, and that why not train men and women to serve in the public, private, or nonprofit sectors as character-driven leaders? And we created the Public Service Academy at Arizona State University. We have what's called the uh, Next Generation Service Corps. And those, those Service Corps members are on service teams that work with uh, countering homelessness in America, countering HIV AIDS, countering uh, uh, injustice, uh, you, you name it. We, you know, um, we have these mission teams that are focused on making America a better place. And so they're getting their degrees at ASU in a sec many sectors, but at the same time, they're getting wraparound leadership, cross-sector leadership in the um, public, private, and nonprofit. Why is this important? Social scientists tell us that uh, today's youth will, they won't serve in one sector for 30 years and get their gold watch like our grandfathers. They'll have multiple jobs across multiple sectors in their career, and we're preparing them to be character-driven leaders cross-sector. So now I want to take you back abroad, and I think the way I want to do it is I just happen to know you're headed to Albania uh, soon. Uh, maybe that can be, you know, what? how do you find yourself going to Albania? Give us the context behind that. Well, back to the McCain Institute and our Next Generation Leaders Program, uh, we have two very distinguished leaders from Albania, uh, Dial Desh, who's uh, involved in countering corruption in the, in the country, and... Uh, um, Adlera, who is um, working on a female uh, politician who's working on running for office at some point in, in uh, the future. They are both uh, part of our program is after the year of uh, leader development here in the United States, uh, our next generation leaders, to which there's now 62 in 44 different countries, they have to go home and train 100 people a year in character driven leadership. So Dial is finishing up his first uh, cohort of next generation leaders or, or character driven leaders. And, uh, I'm going over there to uh, talk to the university where he's uh, affiliated with. I'm going to do a leadership uh, presentation on character-driven leadership to his first graduating class, participate in uh, recognition of them and their graduation ceremony as McCain Institute Next Generation Leaders. And I'm working with Adlira and some of the work that she's doing in advancing uh, new political ideas for females and their role in Albanian society. That's to me where these things kind of connect, because when I think of uh, your military career, um, boy, you know, awful lot of global engagement and then still ultimately very engaged globally in a values based way. We have a standing last question then I'm going to give a little bit of a twist and it's and it's, you know, your chance to give some advice. But but I'd be interested in your take on where character meets self-promotion Beats, beats ambition and advancement. You know, how do you balance that? I don't think you can be shy and retiring in the leadership business, no. but. Well, I, I, I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Uh, the United States Army has a value called selfless service, putting others before self. We see that demonstrated every day in uh, small infantry units and in field artillery units, you name it. You see sergeants putting their soldiers in front of themselves, you see before themselves. You see officers who put their women and men first in their organization. It's not about me, it's about the team, it's about my soldier. We see it in the Navy, the Air Force, our services live this. You know, they, they, they sacrifice uh, themselves uh, for our country. Uh, they're, they're abroad during Christmas. They're, they're in combat on Valentine's Day. They're, they're not home when that birthday's held for their daughter. They're gone. And um, 
So this idea of selfless service um, and, and servant leadership, you know, I, I, to me, Senator McCain was a servant leader, uh, served for years, uh, decades, four decades, I think, of, of service to our country, and uh, including five years as a prisoner of war, and came back to continue to serve. Not woe is me, but I can do more. I should do more for this great country after having all of his freedoms taken away. So it's a balance. It's a balance between, yes, you have to take care of yourself. You have to put food on the table for your children. You have to provide an education for your children. Uh, so, so you. Well, but you also got to make your mark, and some would say you got to, you know, probably catch up to the right people or be noticed by the right people. You know, uh, my father was a World War II veteran. He went from private to a battlefield commission as a lieutenant. He was a sergeant first class twice, and ended up his career after a direct commission as a lieutenant colonel. He's probably the best leader I ever know knew. He's clearly the best soldier I ever knew. And as a young uh, graduate from West Point in 1975. I had this question to my father, sort of, not as, as clear and direct as you're giving me, but my father said to me, you know, if you take care of your men, they will take care of you. And I, I think that, yes, you can be ambitious. There's nothing wrong. I asked the next generation leaders, is it okay to be ambitious? And they say, oh, yes. And that's true. I think ambition is a fuel. Positive ambition is a fuel that pushes us to be lifelong leaders, to work harder, lifelong learners to, to work harder. And to be better tomorrow than we were today, values-based, and, and be a better person. Ambition pushes us to do that. What's not right is being cutthroat. What's not right is undermining others for your own self-promotion. That uh, is disruptive to organizations, to relationships, to success. So I think you take care of your team, those that are entrusted to you. They will take care of you. I also think you can, and, and you know, one of the key Two key things about leadership. One is trust. The essence of leadership is trust. And, and the second piece of it is being prepared. The Boy Scouts have it right. You know, uh, leaders who are prepared can deal with what they face. And so by being lifelong learners, by trying to be a leader better every day, by thinking what's coming next, uh, that helps us to be uh, prepared for what we, we, we face in the future to that which we don't know. We don't know what America's going to look like in five years but we can be prepared to embrace America in five years. Leadership, character, data, heck of a lot more we've covered today. Lieutenant General Ben Frankly, we sure appreciate you being in the arena. You're welcome. This podcast is produced by Patrick McCann and Justin Kessler. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell your friends, or leave a review.